Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Churches, like like that denomination of faith, they want to control everything. That was the same with Bill Gothard, though he wasn't a church. He was just a teacher, or maybe you'd see him as a prophet or something. And a, a Billy Graham, if you're familiar with who Billy Graham is, you know, he's just, or James Dobson. You know, he was another guy out there with a grift who wanted to really entrench into people's minds purity, isolation, isolation from the world. The world is all bad. It is all sin. It has nothing for you. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Woo! Another episode. And we are making up for the editing. Guys, I made a little bit of a kerfuffle, didn't I? Yes, but I think you were trying to match Mark's, I don't know, like his tone. No, I didn't. No, I just, everything got out of sync. I literally just, no, there's no, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. So last week, so our first episode of part one of our interview with Mark Vicente, the questions were out of line for like the first half of the episode, which I'm so sorry, but I hit the wrong button on the editing software. Then I hit export and basically it shifted everything. So it was all out of whack. So there was only like a thousand downloads at that point. So hopefully you guys got to hear it because we fixed it like straight away. As soon as we saw the the note on Instagram, I was like, oh my God. Uh, so we, we fixed it, but it was a kerfuffle for a moment there. So we apologize, uh, our editor. We're going to get better. You know, we only go up from here. We only go up from here. We, uh, you know, it's so apologies to that, but hopefully you guys got to hear that fixed episode. Yes. But it's been a big week, Tara. There's been a lot going on. There was the Lori, Lori Vallow had her sentencing hearing. And then we announced that we're going to CrimeCon. And you did a YouTube video, right? Yes, I did a YouTube video. Feel free to check it out. I don't want to get too into it because I want to keep the momentum on the survivor today. Because, you know, just that's why we don't share our stories on here too much. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we don't do... Um, that's why we put Collier on mute a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and we're figuring out our footing as we're getting into it. We had our separate podcasts. I feel like we both like to be interviewed differently at mm-hmm. times where sure. I'm like, I want people to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I'm just like, I'm just going to talk, 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 talk. When I was in college, this is a true story. When I was in music school, in our studio, in our voice studio, because I went to school for voice, my voice instructor who was head of the voice department literally had a talking stick and you were not allowed to talk unless you had the talking stick when we would have like studio lessons it was really funny and so who do you think violated the talking stick the rule the most probably collier yes that would oh my be gosh <laughs> couldn't help myself so i got whacked with the talking stick a lot (laughs) wait you would get whacked it was all in good fun it was not abusive it was all in good fun but anyways (laughs) so that's a whole other story for a whole other day but there's a new documentary that came out called happy shiny people shiny happy people shiny happy people shiny happy people (laughs) shiny happy people and it is about well it's about a lot of things and focuses on the duggar family but we have a survivor of bill gothard and his 
do you call it a ministry? Is that what we call it? I want to say it's like, you know, when there's churches, those churches are good. They're not toxic. I say this is a toxic church and really anything can be toxic. Any person can be toxic. Abusers are toxic. And like a quote from the Bible says, you know, wolves hide in sheep's clothing. That's a Bible quote? It's from the Bible, yeah. I have no frame of reference here. I'm not a particularly religious person, so I'll take your word for it. I'm trying to go back to my Bible studies and <laughs> I literally went to courses on how to fight atheist and wow. I'm having trouble remembering this stuff but I remember the context of it you know that there's always going to be abusers and unfortunately sometimes they take positions of power they are used to taking positions of power and as Christians you are taught not to question your leaders and I think that that is something I want to argue against today growing up in the church that you have to question your leaders because if you don't sometimes you won't know if they are fully authentic well as they say and i don't think this is in the bible but they say absolute power corrupts absolutely so anyways we have lindsay williams who is joining the program she is a survivor of bill gothard and she's going to tell us her story she was in the amazon prime documentary shiny happy people so what do you say we get into it Now, how does how did the he's how did the Duggars fit into all of this, and how did you come into the documentary, and how is all that? The Duggars are were actually after my time, so I actually had never heard of them before. But I will say first, Bill Gothard loves the biggest, the bigger the family, the better. He loves the big families. Um, I think honestly, to to some degree, he just likes to exploit them like they're circus freaks. Um, you know, back in my day, it was the McKim family, the Voller family, uh, and he would trottle them out in the seminars and just see like, look at how the Lord has blessed the fruit of this woman's womb and God is working in this family by what, creating 13 to 19 children? Like, I don't, ugh, okay. <laughs> so this was his thing and, and the family would have a grift, you know, they would, they would all play the violin or they would all sing or they, they would have something where they would have very performative actions as a family. The Duggar family was just another one, another big freaking family. And how they fully got involved uh, with going online, I mean, obviously you guys saw through the documentary, like TLC picked them up. But I have to say there's no way they did that without having a conversation with Bill Gothard. They were, they were into the IBLP seminars. They were already enrolled in ATI before, Bill, before TLC ever got them. They had already been doing this for a while. But um, then TLC picked him up, as they said, I think through through that article and was like, hey, this would be a really interesting thing to do. And it, when I found out about them on TV, I think it had been like the first or second season of their show. And someone was like, hey, this seems like kind of the thing you were saying you were sort of raised with, like all the girls wear skirts and stuff. So I turned on the TV and I instantly, like I said in the documentary, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> 
I don't need to see this. I was raised with it. The second I saw a wisdom booklet on the table, I'm like, yep, absolutely. I know I know what this is. And I could not watch the show. I was so enraged. And I also was really shocked. I was shocked that Bill Gothard even allowed them or gave them his blessing to be on television because he we had no television in our home. We weren't allowed to watch TV or movies or anything like that. So why in the world was a family allowed to even be on TV? But of course you realize, well, that's the grift. It's like, hey, if we get them on TV and people start seeing it, they're gonna ask questions because look at how peculiar they are and they're peculiar for God and maybe we'll bring them into IBLP and ATI. Um, so there, that, that was their push to fame. And I all, have always struggled with the Duggars, always struggled with them. Um, the parents, I always say that the, the adults in the room have always known what was going on. They knew life before, during, and potentially the you know after. They may change their ways because they knew what they were before. But a child raised in this is a victim through and through. Even if their actions go south like their son, he is still also a victim. Now I'm not. I'm definitely not saying that he <laughs> he is okay by any stretch of the imagination. He is not. But he is also a victim of this entire system because he, too, was not given the help that he needed when he needed it. He was not stopped. He was not he was even sent to Bill Gothard's other programs to fix him. And instead, he's digging holes and memorizing scripture. We know with psychology that is not the way to help someone who has the issues that he was having. He was failed by adults consistently to the point that he was so emboldened that he went out and did the most egregious things on this planet like it's it is so awful but he was still failed by all of the adults in the room again i'm not i'm not erasing what he has done he did horrific things and his conscience alone should have checked him on that one but then you see all of these other kids and i know that the world is so fascinated by the duggars I think, again, because they're an oddity. What woman has 19 children? Like, that is so crazy. I want to know how she's still standing and can still walk without, you know, an, a 20-foot a, a gap between her legs. <laughs> My God, Michelle. But I, I just feel like when it came to them, I started to really just like, ugh, I just bristle about it. And, of course, when people, you know, when I started doing my TikTok, which is actually how I got involved in, in anything regarding outing myself that I was in IBLP, that I was raised in ATI. I, I did not talk about it until I was in my 40s. And so then I was like, uh, well, people started asking about the Duggars. Oh, they're the ones that are involved. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to have this conversation and talk about how the kids are victims and the parents knew what they were doing. So then um, I think I was on TikTok for several months. And then one of my really good friends, Chad Harris, who's also in the documentary, he had uh, made a post in one of the Facebook groups that were all like a survivor group for ex-ATI kids. And he said, hey, I've, you know, I interviewed with some people who are looking to do a documentary. If anyone's interested, I think they're really great people. And I had already seen the post, but because Chad was like, hey, I talked to them. I was like, OK, I'm on board. Like, I trust Chad. Um, had a three-hour conversation with these girls. Uh, with who was our director and just absolutely fell in love with them and could tell they were so well versed in in all of this like they used the vernacular they knew what was going on and I'm like just the fact that when people know 
what I'm saying or the conservatism and what it's like, like you with Tara, you know, how you're like, oh, I understand the purity culture and things like that. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, you've, you've had some experience with this. And so it really gave some trust that it wasn't just like they were trying to rubberneck off of something like, oh, here's some trauma. Let's go expose it. Um, so, yeah, we just got in. And I think it, it took um, almost three years before it came out. But uh, I was, of course, nervous and anxious because you never know in a documentary how something's going to be portrayed, how you're going to be betrayed, portrayed, not betrayed. (laughs) Although that's probably also a fear. They're going to be betrayed (laughs) at some point. Um, (laughs) But like I I went and I, I interviewed for five hours in February of 2022. And it was crazy even then because I'm like, I don't know how long it's going to take for this documentary to even come out. So it didn't come out until June of 23. So it was a year and a half that we had to kind of like sit on this and just wait for them to do their awesome magic, which they did incredibly well. I was so floored. I never, ever thought I would be as happy as I was watching this documentary. I could, I was just floored because I feel like you always hear these horror stories where people are like, oh, this is so terrible or, oh, I didn't say what I wanted to say or they didn't capture what I really meant. And I don't think any of us in the entire documentary felt negative in any way towards the way that anything was done in the documentary. Yeah, 100%. Oh, well, I love that you feel that way about the documentary. And I want to know what led you to get out of it and to the point of advocacy. Getting out of ATI and IBLP was actually um, the only way I could get out because of my conditioning was to get married. Um, There was no way out for me other than that. Or be a spinster and work at one of Bill Gothard's training centers until I died, (laughs) which was also not an option. (laughs) So I, um, long story short, I ended up meeting a guy at headquarters. we ended up having a secret kiss. It ended up getting discovered, and he was sent home immediately. I was sent to one of the training centers three months later as like discipline for what I had done. I was there for five months. It was one. It was the worst five months of my life. Um, I felt like I had the scarlet letter on me. I found out later people thought that I'd had sex with someone at headquarters, and I was like, I don't even understand how all that works. How do you? Ugh. Why am I constantly being accused of like weird shit? <laughs> and, and again, you were over the age of 18. I was 21 at this point. And, and you were in excoriated for having a kiss. Sure was. That's just insane. It's, it's, oh, I'm sorry, that's just insane. It is, it, it really, all it does when you're conditioned already is confirms to you how much you can't do. You're like, oh yeah, I knew I couldn't do that, but I did it anyway. And then even that kiss, it was pretty electric. You know, I'm not touching people in any type of sensual, exciting way. And then you get this kiss and you're like, whoa, like all the senses start firing off and you've never felt them before. And I was like, this is why my parents didn't want me to do this. I tell I tell I oh my gosh, this is bad. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and yet it should be wonderful and delightful. And you should be like, this is my first kiss. What an incredible experience. And instead you're like, all the, all the stop signs are happening and you're trying to like re-regulate yourself going, oh, I've really failed. I've failed. And now I'm not pure anymore. And I'm never going to be able to, no one else is going to want me. And you're just like, your whole world gets destroyed. And then you get discovered and now you're in even more trouble. And now everybody at headquarters knows now you're getting sent to the Oklahoma City Training Center, and it's even the story is even worse there, which for the first month, people treated me like I was a leper. And I find out later that, or like I had chicken pox, for those who don't know what lepers are. <laughs> but I, I was like basically just completely ostracized. And I finally asked, what's going on? Like, it, people are acting like I've done something really, really horrible. And someone closer that I became friends with was like, yeah, well, you know, we heard that you had slept with someone. And I was, I was just mortified. I was like, I don't want to 
I don't want to interact with anybody anymore. Like I got really depressed when I was in Oklahoma City and I think it was, yeah, 21 years old, like my IBS started then, like really shifted into a high gear and I didn't even know what it was. And it, my stomach was hurting constantly and I was barraged while I was there, like with this woman who was a wife to the training center leader. Um, She just would not leave me alone. And she would say, well, you just haven't given, you know, all of the ground that you gave to Satan through one kiss. You haven't given that ground back over to God, and so Satan is still controlling you, and these ailments are because you haven't succumbed and submitted to the Lord. So I wasn't getting medical help. I found out years and years later I'm allergic to wheat. (laughs) So they they believe in whole wheat being like the true healer, (laughs) and yet it was destroying me, so that was fun. But I, I was there for five months. I go back home. I'm in a really tumultuous situation. My parents have separated at this point. They're living in two different homes. I'm getting shuttled by my brother who's younger than me and is allowed to have a driver's license. He's shuttling me back and forth between the homes, and I'm basically just like the, the housemaid to both of my parents. And thank the stars that the guy I kissed started writing my father to see if he could enter into courtship with me. Like he chose to do it the right way so that we could just at least, you know, leave as easily as possible. Um, and I'm glad that we actually did it that way because I think I don't think I could have handled the anxiety of, of the full outcast of just like running away and just all, I think it just would have completely destroyed my mental health. Um, but we, we got married, we escaped, we didn't live near our parents, which was one of their requests that we live with each other, that we live near one of them. And we said, nope, and went away. Um, and honestly, I just said, I'm not wearing pants anymore. I'm not going to have babies for the first five years. Um, I'm going to listen to whatever music I want. I want to start watching movies. Let's get a blockbuster card. Um, I might try alcohol, but I'm not (laughs) sure yet. Are you okay with these things? Let's get a blockbuster card. I'm sorry. That's amazing. Literally. (laughs) Literally. I was like, I want a blockbuster card. And in the first year, we got a gold blockbuster card. That's how many movies we watched. (laughs) Okay, so you mentioned a couple of things. So for our younger audience, she at the beginning of the interview, she mentions Encyclopedia Britannica. We used to have these, the Encyclopedia Britannica were blue. There's also a Collier's Encyclopedia, mm-hmm. by the way, but we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. Then there was World Book, which was blue and red. But back before Wikipedia and the internet, you had to go look things up in a book. And they were very pretty and they were very expensive and they were gold leafed. Yep. And those are encyclopedias. <laughs> and they'd fill like a whole like a whole bookshelf, maybe one or two shelves. And there are letters. There's A, yep. there's B, the there's alphabet. C. There might be E and F, but we're not sure. Like it did like there it, it's Or X, Y, and Z all, all together. X, Y, precisely. So uh, Are and you then, saying this for me? No, I'm saying oh. this for no, I'm 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 making a the joke. Zennials. <laughs> I'm black. I'm blockbuster. <laughs> blockbuster card and, and a blockbuster. There used to be this thing that existed before Netflix, where you went to go get movies and <laughs> yourself in a store. <laughs> and it was yeah, it was fun. And they were they were VHS tapes, so you had a yeah, big it's, space it's to a read different... all about the movie before you watched it. <laughs> and you had to rewind them yes. back where you got the penalty, you know? Please be kind and rewind. Oh, yeah, the be kind, rewind. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my That's God. So amazing. I'm so glad you pointed be that out. Be kind, rewind. That's hilarious. I had to. I'm sorry. I had That's to. Good. Um, I felt... <laughs> I, 
uh, but so okay so in all seriousness though obviously so he wanted out too right yeah i think he'd been checked out a little bit at his, his in his own life but because he was male he had a lot more freedom to just be you know women didn't, didn't of course have he that. did he's male yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> that's what people don't understand it's all about the patriarchy exactly. so it's like it's they can do whatever we watched the did you see the barbie movie i have not yet i've heard <laughs> all the great horrible things that christians are saying about it <laughs> all i wanted to do all i wanted to do my whole idea of the patriarchy is i just wanted to ride the horse <laughs> oh i just want to ride the horse that's this always i was just interested in horses it's so that's so, so now brilliant. everybody has to see the movie. I need, so I brilliant. do need to see it. So you know what? I also, when I was a kid, I thought riding horses would be so amazing, but I was told that women couldn't ride horses because it would. And, and break now you the have like eighteen eighty three and Yellowstone, and those women are they're riding. All riding they're all riding horses, <laughs> yeah. and they're all from this very conservative Christian. <laughs> Uh, uh, puritanical yep. background and they're all out there riding hor yep. horses like champs. And I so, love it. Like, yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah. I'm like reformulate yeah. this narrative people. Yeah no my family grew up with horses mm. and we were Christians so we were bad. So they were okay with, with you, your virginity <laughs> being destroyed? I guess okay, so. Okay. <laughs> like it matters. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. It's a well. It's a control system, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. this is. It, it's, but you know what? It, it and I and I no disrespect to 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 your story or Bill Gothard, but it seems like it's also it has a lot of dysfunction in it. Oh yeah. You, we, we interviewed um, Brielle Decker, who was uh, the sixty fifth wife wife of Warren wow. Jeffs, and in that, you know, um, uh, the fundamentalist La Latter -day, Church of Latter Day mm -hmm. Saints, right? You don't like they don't let you out. Yep. Like they hold they, you're a hostage. At least this was like you got to like go buy your clothes when you went to the thing. It seems like they're 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 kind of loose with the reins in their in their cult like system. Well, no like well, no wonder it didn't work. But yeah. now they moved to Texas. Maybe that's a whole. It is. Story. Yeah, it, you are right there in that um, some of these other systems are really really rigid. You know, you have Mennonites and Amish too, where they I mean they are so isolated and on compounds. Yes, they are. You know. Um, Bill Gothard was, I think, very insidious in the way that he created his system because he didn't have to have a compound. We were so self-reporting. Yeah. We were so conditioned that the door, well, like I've had friends ask me, when you were at headquarters between the ages of 18 and 21, did it never cross your mind that you could have just walked out the door of the house you were living in and never come back? that you had yeah. secretarial skills and you could have just gone through the newspaper. Sorry, guys, I'm old. But you could have gone through the newspaper and found... Penny saver. Yeah, the penny go saver. Go and find your adverts. And go <laughs> and find your job opportunities. Call on the dialing up telephone. And... Uh, LA Weekly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the rotary phone. I'm not that old, but... Um, <laughs> but then, you know, call up and, like, get a job as a secretary. And I, I literally said... No, it never crossed my mind. Like this was all I knew. And it also gives you, you give, you are instilled with such a fear of the others. So it wasn't even, it was partly like, yeah, I'm a, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I could have gotten out, but it wasn't like I had a huge savings. And so what would I live on? And now I have to live by myself and I have no way to commute. And w what in the heck do I do? I would need help to establish myself. Um, but also everyone else is really scary 
they watch movies. They wear pants. They're really bad. Yeah, it's like being it's like being in prison. Of you know, mind. like one of the things that yeah. you know, but it is like you know, because you're conditioned, everything is provided for you, right? So that's like one of the things, you know, I, I talk about a lot, just having a father who's in prison mm-hmm. is, um, you know, and I remember one of the counselors there saying, you know, prisoners, they're like men, they t- prison turns men into babies mm-hmm. because when they get out, like you have everything is provided for you, right? I mean, it's horrible, but like, you know, yeah. you three meals a day, go to sleep at this time, go, you can use the shower now, you can use the toilet, you can use this, here's your rec time. And then you get out into a society, you know, uh, where you don't have to worry about any of that. Nobody's telling you anything to do. And you're, you're actually more, you know, you're, you imprison yourself a lot of ways. So I, yeah. I see how that works. It's, it's, it's fear. I think any, any, you know, like all is rooted in trauma, right? Yeah. Trauma, uh, you know, you don't understand like, oh, I can do this now. Oh, I, 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 I still have times where I think that having gone through what I went through as a child, sure. you know, where I'm like, wait a minute, you can do that. <laughs> I guess you can. I'm, I'm in my forties. Yeah. Like, come on now. So it's interesting. It's the conditioning. Um, I always default to that. It is the, it was, it was a cult of conditioning, you know, and if you can start yeah. them really young, like if I, if we talk back to about the Duggars, you see all these kids getting out into the real world now and everyone's like, how come they're doing this? And why aren't they doing that? And I'm like, you guys, <laughs> They are just getting on their little rickety baby giraffe legs for the first time. Like, they don't know how to function in the world yet. And it's going to take them decades. It took me 23 years to, or 20 years to start talking about my experiences in the cult. I just was like, if I put it in a box and I stick it up in my closet and I just forget about it, I'm just going to go and try to function. And I made a big mess of things a lot of the time. I was confusing and weird to everybody I knew. I would get made fun of or people would say references that I didn't know. And I'd just kind of be like, oh, yeah, no, great. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, didn't you love that concert? I'm like, shit, now we've wandered into things I don't know. Um, Couldn't be more grateful for the cell phone could not be more grateful for the (laughs) smartphone. When that came on the scene, oh my gosh. I do hair and makeup for a living. I've been doing it for 13 years now. And so I was in New York for 10 years and love what I do. But again, I'm I'm on set where people are throwing down references for fashion shoots and I'm like, (laughs) no, any of this. So I would just like run to the bathroom and, you know, look it up really quick on Google. And I'm like, thank (laughs) God for Google, you know, like maybe there is a God because Google exists. (laughs) Wait, it's it's John Paul Gauthier, not John John Paul Gaultier. 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 John Paul Gaultier. Gaultier. (laughs) Fermez. Oh, man. And so you went to the big, scary, big city of New York City. Yeah, I went from one trauma to another, because why not? That's what trauma people do. We just, uh, I know how to work in high-functioning stress and disaster, and I do very well in it. And then you joined all the rest of us crazy people out here in Southern (laughs) California. Because where this is where the... (laughs) They don't want you to go at all. They, you, 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 we're all safe behind that border. Like, I swear, I swear to God, like, I listen to, to people talk about this and they're like, oh, California. So I'm like, I'm so glad you guys think it's 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 complete bedlam over here. And like, people are getting shot in the street. And yeah, there's crime, and there's homelessness, but there's crime and homelessness everywhere. Yeah. Like, people are getting shot in the street and it's bedlam and houses are being set on fires. I'm like, think that. Like, listen to your news programs that tell you that because we don't want you here. <laughs> Like go, we get too many people anyway. It's like, please, like we're all praying for the big earthquake so people just leave. <laughs> <laughs> we can have peace. Well, a lot of them moving yeah. on to like Texas and all those places too, so like they can. <laughs> yeah. Blue skies, green lights. 
see you guys. I have, love it here. Have fun. I didn't I didn't think that I would because I was very much a New York girl. Like I really I just loved the fire and energy of that city. But after ten years of it, like actually probably after six years of it, it was that and not dealing with my past, my body caught up with me. And my body was like, Yeah, you get to have anxiety now. You get to have a panic attack. You can't get down the subway anymore. Ha ha ha. Um, it was it was really really bad, and it did not get better. And I cannot tell you. This sounds so morbid. I was so grateful for the pandemic because I no longer had to leave my house and deal with the world. Yeah, I was in New York City. You during the pandemic. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was in Long Island City, about a half a mile from uh, one of their central uh, hospitals, and. All we heard every day was silence. It was, it was quiet wow. as heck. I've never heard the city that quiet. It was so terrifying. And then you just heard sirens around the clock for months. Um, we had like sound machines and stuff to just try to drown it out because it was. It started to really get like made my teeth hurt. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I don't have to deal with the outside world, and I'm really good at being a hermit. I know how to live this life. I know how to n- just be away from the world. Um, it was yeah. very, it was very bizarre, but that's, that's actually the time that I started speaking out about my experiences because I decided to read my journals <laughs> from back in the day and I hadn't read them since before I got married. So I opened the, you know, dusted them off cause it'd been 20 years. I'm like, hello, all the balls came flying out and I was like, well, tell me stories, eight year old Lindsay. And I was like, oh my God, please stop telling me stories. I was like, this is terrifying. Those books were terrifying. Um, and I was just like, you know what? It's time. It's time. And so out I went. Is that when you started TikTok? Yep. Started TikTok at the time and then, um, got picked up for the documentary and the rest is where we are now. Um, and I feel, I feel really grateful that it built to this, to what it is now, because I really love being able to advocate for ex-ATI kids and to be able to speak out against Bill Gothard. I was asked in 2012, 2013 to be a part of the lawsuit against him for his sexual harassment and behavior. But I just, I was too scared. And I think I'd been in New York for maybe two years at that point. And I was like, I'm trying to be a, a makeup artist, like a successful makeup and hairstylist out here in New York City. The last thing I need is to be drawn back into my full past back there with some creepy dude who was just like into feeling it up. You know, I'm like, I can't, I, I don't think I could handle it. I really, really knew, I knew my yeah. own limit. I was like, if I have to hear his voice, if I have to sit in a courtroom with that man, I don't think I'll come back from it. And so I very, for a long time, I felt like I was a coward. Like I had, I cowardously just said no, and I just couldn't find my bravery. And I had a couple of girls reach out to me um, to verify some of their stories because we were housemates and things like that back at headquarters. So I did that a little bit. But even then I was like, I, okay, I, I verified a few stories. I really can't take any more. Like, I'm so sorry, but I just, I can't, I can't do this. Um, At a certain point, you have to look out for your yeah. own mental health and who you are. And you don't owe any of those people anything. I know that this might sound solipsistic or, you know, bad, but it's not. You chose to get on with your life and yeah. you need to look out for yourself. Well, the really, the really beautiful up. thing has been now with the dog. Like, I think what happened was I preserved myself until the time that I was strong enough. And being able to speak on the documentary I felt that full power in myself. I felt very grounded, very clear. I wanted to stare that camera down through the barrel, just like 
if Bill's watching it, he's seeing my eyes look straight at him. I was not going to let that man wiggle off the hook. Just breaking the fourth wall? Yeah, pretty much. Shatter it. (laughs) (laughs) So very, very glad to have been able to have done that. And it's been really beautiful because a lot of those girls from the lawsuit, they have their own documentary coming out called Until the Truth. It should be coming out, I think, next year. And they are the girls from the lawsuit, and they're sharing their story, I think, post-lawsuit and what happened prior, like the actual experiences that they had with Bill. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. And they've messaged me and supported me as well. And, you know, I've told them, I'm so sorry I wasn't a part of the lawsuit. And they were just like, same as you just said, like, look, you had to do what you had to do. Like, we, we hold no, you know, issue with anybody. Like, we were all struggling with everything. So it's been it's been healing for me to feel that. But also with therapy, you're very right. Like, I didn't really owe anybody anything. And that, again, was still me in a survival mode of I've got to protect myself so I can somehow make a semblance of the rest of my life or this is going to be my life. Like, I can't let this be all that I'm about. Yeah, well, I think you're really brave in coming forward and sharing your experience because so many people have these lifestyles like what is it like to see the trad wife on tiktok i am not a fan i think it is so first i want to say it there is something about being older now to seeing how technology and advancement is changing the landscape but not the narrative like we're not doing it in churches we're not doing it necessarily in small hooded Bible studies anymore, you know, in some someone's house. I mean, I'm sure that's still happening. We're not doing it in the basement of a church. You know, they're moving online. Everything, and, and, and that's what everybody loves about online in general, is that you can get the word out faster. And so for a community, especially Christians, that just wanted to deny all of the tech, you know, no TV, no movies, no music, all this stuff, Now they're all coming out on these apps and online, YouTube, and they're they're just doing the same thing. They're still all they're doing is like street corner witnessing. It's the same thing, just a different platform. Um, But what I hate about it is that it is well, not just the narrative, but it's being promoted as this like bubble gum experience. That submission is like going to a carnival. It's the most fun you'll ever have. You'll never feel freer. And I'm just like, how, how can you sit there and literally say submission is the best thing that's ever happened to you? Like in your general yeah. life. Look, I'm not talking about the kinks. We, who doesn't love the kinks? But it's just the, this submission and this, this patriarchal behavior. But what I see in most of these trad wives is they don't even see the problem. They don't see it. And they are so committed, just like I was in a way, I'm committed to the narrative. I think nowadays people that like myself back then where I'm like, I just don't know if God exists. I don't know if he's real. Um, if I'd been online and on the internet, I very quickly would have come to my understandings of being an atheist. I'd have been like, yeah, no, this is, <laughs> I'm good. Because God never pulled me out of those situations. He never stopped any pain, trauma, or uh, abuse ever. 
I had to be the one to remove myself from these experiences. So I would rather believe in myself because I was never given that autonomy or that ability to believe in Lindsay and what Lindsay's capable of. I don't sit at the altar of almighty Lindsay, but I, I want to believe in myself, that I will make good, strong choices and that I will support others and that I will love them. I don't want a faith system telling me what I can and can't, should and shouldn't do. And yet with the trad experience, that's all there about. Everything that they need to do and know is coming from the Bible or the wise women above them. And then they, they just keep shoveling it in like it's a yummy ice cream at a carnival. And I'm like, well, enjoy yourself, I guess. Like, I just feel really sad because I, there's no way to actually get through to people like that. There isn't because it is they drop yeah. mic. Well, that's what you feel. Well, God's in control. Well, they, they will drop mic constantly on you and, and stop it. Or the straw man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Strong man as well. Oh, so you're saying that you that you support pedophiles? Right, exactly. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think this is propaganda. A lot of this behavior that's going on right now, they're not understanding what the narrative is that they're creating. Mm -hmm. Post 9-11, there was this massive Islamophobia yeah. that was going on. And this behavior is the exact same thing that they were so against at that time, like people controlling and controlling women. There was this like whole uprising in this country of everybody, like they treat women this way, they feel this way, they, they have this, they're fundamentalists mm -hmm. too, of they don't let, they don't let people get educations. They don't let, there's not this, they, they don't have freedom like we have. We don't understand that. And now we are going back to this, okay, it's the same thing we were fighting against 20 yeah. years ago and now we're now we're now we're doing the same thing in this country i don't understand i, I but really it's, don't a, understand it's because it. it's a newer younger uneducated generation they're not informed so they don't really know and they don't want to be informed they are happy with their belief system. And the second you pull on that thread, the whole sweater falls apart and they want their sweaters. They want their coziness. They want the comfort. They want the foundation. They want to feel solid. And they are unfortunately choosing a very unstable religion that is very hypocritical. I mean, most of these people, when you are in a traditional or I guess the trad wife, but when you're in fundamentalism like this, you have you you have to control yourself so much that everybody does all the bad in the dark and they hide it and they sneak around and it's like you know wouldn't it just be better if you just said hey you know what i don't think i really am in it with my wife anymore and i'd rather just get a divorce and just date people do that because you know what your life is going to be a lot better and your kids will thank you in the end you know, and maybe your wife yeah. will love it because she'll find a relationship that actually someone cares about her that she can care about them you know, it, it just, when my parents divorced, I could not have been happier. Those two enjoyed making each other miserable. And they stayed because of God. And I just, ugh, the day they chose to leave, I'm like, <laughs> it's about time. And I've, you know, the paths they chose were interesting. Um, they definitely went uh, back to the lives they knew before, which I found really fascinating, too, because they raised us to be so rigid and strict and pure from the world and then they just went back to their normal lives like you know their regularly scheduled program was back on and it has always blown my mind because i don't know they just assume that like what i'm normal now too because i didn't have a normal before 
it was only cult and now what I'm trying to make as my normal. Yeah. So what are you doing today with the healing process? I know you've done EMDR therapy. Yes, I love therapy talk. <laughs> two, two years ago, I got into therapy once I got out here to LA. And honestly, I thought just moving out of New York and coming to LA was going to be the cure. They're like, oh, I, I was just under a lot of stress and that city is really stressful and the career I have is like really a lot of pressure and clicky and stuff. And I got out to LA and it was still a bit of the pandemic going on. And I'm like, I still feel the same. Like, I still feel like a really anxious mess. So I got with a really amazing therapist. We, we started immediately into EMDR and just a lot of other processes, too, um, like breathing processes. I know in the if you guys are aware, in the documentary, I was wearing a necklace that had an elongated uh, charm on it. And people thought that it was a vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, on Reddit, people are like, oh, my God, is Lindsay Williams wearing a vibrator? What a flex. And I was like, I know it's for it's some people love wearing vibrators around their neck. I guess it's for some people, but not for me. This is a breathing tool. It's so that when you exhale, your exhale is slower so that it doesn't collapse. And then you're still in your fight or flight. Um, so I started wearing this around my neck it's from Camuso and I freaking love it so much. Um, so my breathing regulation helped a lot. And then I got these um, because of EMDR, I got these by tap bracelets. Like the name of the company is by tap.com, but they have a haptic in them, kind of like your Apple watches. And so they they haptic back and forth with each other. So it's like the EMDR where you're bilaterally either looking at the light left to right or you're tapping left to right on either like your clavicle area or on your legs um, in order to again put your brain into a very neutral space where it can't it can't um, default to fight flight freeze or fawn. So you're able to actually process through these traumatic memories of the past and and reformulate and understand what was really happening and that you have control of the narrative now. And you can sort of like reshape the trauma of that narrative so that it doesn't have like as much of a torturous effect on you. You can truly just look at it as a fact instead of it holding all the emotional trauma that really stops your mind and puts you into these tripped out experiences where you're triggered so much. Um, I y'all I've been to the wildest worlds. I, I think with AI, I really want to start trying to go and figure out if I can create the worlds that my brain made when I was in EMDR because it was so much fun. But um, but all these processes take a long time. You know, I think people think that healing and especially with therapy is like, oh, six, seven months, I'm going to be great. And it really is is not that way, especially when your trauma is really heavy. But one of the things that I've learned through all of this is that when you're looking for therapy and you've gone through religious, sexual, emotional traumas, you need to be with a trauma informed therapist. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, but I'm with you know, like a family therapist or I've been in talk therapy for 10 years. And I'm like, I'm not trying to, to say talk therapy is wrong, but trauma-informed therapy gets to the root of things a lot faster. And I cannot speak enough about that. So if people aren't sure, like, oh, I don't know if my, my therapist is trauma-informed, call the office and ask. You know, and they may say, oh, well, we're just like family therapy or whatever. Find another therapist. Um, I'm doing a lot of... Uh, I'm listening to a book right now, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and I'm obsessed with that book. But I love how he also is talking about trauma-informed therapists are, are very, very necessary for these types of traumas, especially if you're going into so much conditioning 
your brain really actually needs to be fully rewired. I mean, there were times where I would be screaming in my office during a session, and I'm just like, I feel like it's in my cells. Like every little bit of my DNA controls me to behave the way I do. And I have no control over my body. It's I'm just like, I'm in the body of a robot. And I can't make myself stop this stuff. But with two years of really hard work and some medication, <laughs> thanks, Effexor, um, you know, I've been able to really get to a place where I'm so much calmer. I don't have nightmares. Um, I've been able to think a lot cl- more clearly on everything. And again, just be able to advocate for people, too, to like try to guide them as well when I can if they reach out. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Where can we find you on social media, everything? You guys can find me on TikTok as well as Instagram at the cult chronicles um that's where i am for all the advocating stuff as far as iblp and ati and bill gothard and then if you want to check out my hair and makeup you can see that over at crazy pretty on instagram oh yeah. that's my real life love it <laughs> that's, that's my real life the real yeah. life yeah. we like that we like that well Lindsay, uh i always tell tara uh we are all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of but we are all a part of the survivor squad lindsey williams thank you so much for joining the program sharing your story the documentary is shiny happy people available on yep, amazon, amazon right prime. amazon prime thank you so much for joining really the program appreciate it you appreciate guys it. are amazing thank you so much i can relate a lot to lindsey from the side of just growing up with the toxic church you know being in the toxic church you know there's always great churches out there but unfortunately there are people that will shame you and will question you and will abuse you in the church sometimes and you have to watch out for those people yeah i don't know again you know i have i have you know, it was interesting hearing her story because i was like oh i remember going to school with kids like that that were not yeah. allowed to like interact with other children that weren't allowed to have television that weren't had you know and they were part of this for lack of a better word fundamentalist christian uh type of lifestyle and to be honest we are not shaming religion we are not anti-religion here we are we are pro all religions and whatever you seek your higher power however you seek them that is entirely up to you um but uh you know it I'm very grateful that I wasn't raised in those situations, but I had a lot of friends that didn't. And I think it was really eye-opening to me to hear Lindsay's story for sure. Yeah. And I feel like you have a little context of what I grew up in too and why I feel certain ways and why there's shame around me with certain subjects. You know, if I feel bad for calling out abusers or something, I feel shame for that because I was taught that I was the person that made them feel those feelings. And so I think that that needs to be talked about. And I just wanna say that when I went to Austin, Texas, right after my stabbing, my event and everything, I got into a great church. I got the best healing. My therapist was a church therapist and that really helped me immensely. So I'm not claiming that the church is toxic fully. That church was really great for me and I'm so appreciative of those people. And I am a little bit spiritual now, but it doesn't mean that I don't believe in God. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, I also believe in God, but um, yeah. So we support whatever your beliefs are, 
but it's important to point out the toxic nature of the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. As I said again, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Hey, fun fact. I went on Instagram after we interviewed Lindsay and my friend Janenio Salucci, who I did a music video with ages ago, one of his first music videos, he was do, doing a music video and he had her credited as the makeup artist. He'd done like three music videos with her. So such a small world. Hollywood is such a small world, just like this true crime and podcast world is such a small world. So it's, it's everybody knows everybody. It, you never know. So I thought that was really kind of fun. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So big thank you to Lindsay for joining the program. Uh, we will have links to all of her social media handles and how to find her in the show notes of today's episode. On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.